Welcome to the Request 2021 podcast. In the winter of 2021-22, a team of 10 members of scouting, eight from Kent and two from Scotland, will be sailing together on the Bark Europa tour ship from South America to Port Lockroy in Antarctica. The plan is to sail exactly 100 years after two scouts sailed on Shackleton's original quest expedition. I'm Alan Noak and I'm project leader and I'm the person who came up with the whole crazy idea in the first place. Uh, Each of the participants is to carry out an Antarctic research project. So my personal project is to produce a soundscape record of our journey. That's before, during and after Antarctica. The plan is for this podcast to include interviews, scouting historical links, events uh, and research project work that we record along the way. So uh, please join us as we venture to Antarctica and back again on the journey of a lifetime. It promises to be a memorable experience. So welcome to episode 21 of the Request 2021 podcast. This episode is going out on Thursday the 1st of July 2021, exactly six months to the day that the Request team planned to sail from South America to Antarctica. To celebrate our six months, we're going to sell our limited edition purple penguin badges. And those are going for £6 on eBay and that includes package and posting. There have only been 180 purple penguin badges produced and when they're gone they're gone so they are a true limited edition and you can find the eBay link in the podcast show notes uh, on our website which is www.request2021.org.uk. Also today, 1st of July 2021, is the official launch of my book. It's the book that I've been personally researching and writing for the last four years now. And it's called Shackleton Scouts. It's the story of Scouts Mar and Mooney of the Shackleton Rowett Expedition to the Antarctic, 1921-22. to I've used transcripts, old newspaper articles, archived personal letters, a variety of heritage photographs um, and many, many other source reference materials to really catalogue the lives of Mar and Mooney and how it affected their lives to be selected by Shackleton to go on the expedition. From their time in the Scouts to the selection for the expedition, through the Second World War and beyond, it goes on to chart the incredible legacy left to scouting by these two fascinating individuals. I've chosen to donate 25% of all profits to the Request 2021 project. Uh, And then finally, um, we have our Request interview, uh, this time with British adventurer James Ketchell. Uh, James is one of the patrons of our project. Um, And on 1st of February 2014, James became the first and only person to have rowed across the Atlantic Ocean, successfully summited Mount Everest and cycle 18,000 miles around the world in what the media dubbed as the ultimate triathlon. 
just more recently in 2019 he flew his open cockpit gyroplane over 24,000 nautical miles and circumnavigated the planet in 175 days to set the first Federation Aeronautic International ratified flight around the world for an aircraft of its type. The mission was used to inspire a million young people in classrooms all over the world to pursue their own goals and dreams. So I hope you really enjoy my interview with James. Uh, but first, I'm going to start by reading the introduction to my book, Shackleton Scouts. Shackleton Scouts, Introduction Did you know that two scouts sailed with Sir Ernest Shackleton to Antarctica in 1921? Personally, I first heard the story of Shackleton Scouts back in 2013 when I stumbled upon Johnny Walker's Scouting Milestones website by chance and I was inspired to buy a copy of James Marr's book, Into the Frozen South. Is anything ever really by chance? My personal radar was already scanning for all things Scouting and Antarctica related. This story firmly ticked both boxes. Anyway, I was fascinated to find out that James Marr and Norman Mooney were selected from around 1,700 other scouts to represent scouting, king and country on Shackleton's 1921 expedition. Sir Ernest Shackleton's final Shackleton Rowett expedition, 1921-1922, also known by many as the Quest Expedition, named after the Quest ship, marked the end of what has now become known as the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. In 1921, King George V was on the throne and David Lloyd George was Prime Minister. World War I was recently over and the Scout movement, a mere teenager itself, was only 14 years old. Imagine at that time when relatively few people travelled to Europe let alone to the ends of the earth, been selected to represent scouting on an expedition of a lifetime to Antarctica. What an honour, what a responsibility. So, with the centenary of the original expedition rapidly approaching, I set myself the task of finding different ways to celebrate and raise public awareness of this important historic link between scouting and Antarctica. One early idea I had was to raise money for some memorials to Shackleton Scouts. Uh, one at Gilwell Park, UK Scout Headquarters, and one at Fordell Furs, the Scottish Scout Headquarters. At the time of writing, these plaques have now been beautifully carved and are ready for unveiling. My second idea was somewhat more ambitious and grandiose in scale. To create a Kent Scouts research project to Antarctica and where possible, recreate the ethos of the original Shackleton Rowett Quest expedition. It was clear from the outset that to achieve this objective we were going to have to raise over £100,000. I now know how Sir Ernest Shackleton must have felt when seeking funding for his grand schemes. This in turn has brought me to my third idea, 
With four years to go until the centenary, I decided to write a book about Shackleton Scouts and donate a percentage of the profits to our Kent Scouts Global Projects Fund, earmarked for the Request 2021 expedition to Antarctica. It's taken all of those four years to write and publish. So if you've purchased this book, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're helping to turn a scouting dream into a reality. Join me and together we can find out more about these two young Scottish scouts who set off to find adventure in the early 1920s with one of the greatest ever explorers, Sir Ernest Shackleton. Along the way, I hope we can discover some hidden surprises and reveal lots more interesting details behind this Antarctic scouting odyssey. So my book Shackleton Scouts is now available and uh, I have a website which is www.shackletonscouts.co.uk So next up is the interview uh, with James Ketchell, one of our patrons uh, for the project um, and the author of The Ultimate Triathlon. Here we go. James Ketchell. I uh, grew up in Basingstoke in Hampshire. I was born there, oh my goodness, 38 years ago now, so getting on a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I was a Sea Scout when I was when I was young. Uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't really have a, a huge amount of confidence, actually, when I was young. Mm -hmm. I, um, I sort of really struggled at school. Um, it, I didn't really start to, to get into doing the things that I do now until I was a little bit older. Mm -hmm. um, I had, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I left school and got a job. Um, and then, you know, one of my interests was, was motorcycles. And after a few lucky escapes on the road, I decided not to ride on the road anymore. And uh -huh. I started racing bikes. And uh, I was a bit unfortunate. I had quite a, quite a serious accident. Right. It uh, wasn't that bad, but um, I couldn't walk for a while and, and I had to spend a bit of time in hospital. And it was funny because as I was growing up, I was always interested in the outdoors and I was, I was made aware of the fact that it was possible to row a boat across the Atlantic, which I thought was just <laughs> unbelievable. Right. Uh, the, the concept and the idea of someone rowing a little boat across the ocean to America <laughs> or the Caribbean was just mind-blowing. Uh -huh. And that sparked an interest in, in adventure, uh, but I never really did anything about it, probably because... When I was young, I was probably a little bit immature. <laughs> I didn't grow up, well, I still am now, to be perfectly honest, but I wasn't ready to do something like that when mm. I was young, personally. Mm -hmm. um, although the Scouts really helped me when I was young. Um, so I remember when I was lying in that hospital bed, the, the doctor said, to, to be honest, I don't really know whether you're going to be able to walk properly again. Mm. And it was a little bit of an eye-opener for me because I thought, you know what? you don't realise what you have until it's taken away from you. Um, it's also a bit of a gauntlet, isn't it? Because it's, it's almost laying down the challenge of you'll never, if, if someone tells you you're never going to be able to do something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just thought it was like a light switch moment that, that just something felt right. I thought, you know what? I, um, 
I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I, I, I need something to aim for because it mm-hmm. took a couple of years to do all the physio and make a recovery. Yeah. I decided that I was going to try and row a boat across the Atlantic. Didn't have a clue what <laughs> I was doing, but went out and found some people. That, and there weren't that many people that had managed to do this. Going, This, this was like 10 years ago. So yeah. It wasn't as popular then as it is now. Um, so I managed to find some people that had done things like this before. And um, I, the, the hardest part was really probably all the challenges that you're trying to push through and overcome now. And that is mm. just getting to the start line. It's not actually that yeah. difficult once you get out there. Yeah. So I took a few crazy risks. I remember uh, one time I, I went, I kept telling people what I was going to do. I had this vision, this idea, this dream, but mm-hmm. it wasn't really a reality because I had nothing to show anyone. Mm-hmm. So one day I went to the bank and I, I spoke to the, the bank manager and I asked him if I could borrow some money because I desperately wanted a new car. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell him that I'd found a second-hand ocean rowing boat that I was going to buy. <laughs> and, and it was just luck that yeah. he typed this was in the days when banks were giving money to yeah. anyone. Yeah. He typed in on the computer and said, well, you can uh, you can borrow £22,000. I said, yeah, that's brilliant. That should get mm. me a nice car. Mm. So I borrowed the money. I mean, it was a huge risk. I didn't have any sponsors at that point at all. Uh-huh. Uh, I went and bought a second-hand rowing boat. But then the project became real because I had something to show people. Yeah. And I could say, yeah. that's where I sleep, that's where I row, yeah. how you make water. And this space on the side would be perfect for your company logo. And honestly, as <laughs> yeah. soon as I took that risk, yeah. all these things started to happen. Yeah. And I managed to make it happen. Uh, and I, yeah, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about being out in the uh, Atlantic. But it, it took. Um, I wanted to do it with someone else, but no one would do it with me at the time. I couldn't find anyone, so I, I did it on my own. <laughs> And it usually takes about 70 or 80 days for a solo rower to get across the Atlantic, and it took 110 days, four hours and four minutes. So not that I was counting right, but it was a <laughs> and the wildlife was incredible. Yeah. I, I, I was hit in the face by a flying fish. They really do fly oh, wow. that way. Yeah. I was bitten on the nipple by a fish. There's a crazy story. I was in the, in the water cleaning the bottom of the boat, and a little fish bit me, and... <laughs> You know, huge, big fin whales would swim up to the side of the boat. They're wow. gigantic when you see those those things in person. Oceanic white-tipped sharks kind of circled around. Right? Awesome. Really yeah. intelligent. I would throw food in to get them to come closer. Uh-huh. One of the things that I realized when I got out there was I, I had this dream, this goal of rowing across the Atlantic. Mm. But I kept putting it off. I, I always was sort of thinking well it's not the right time and I don't know if I can do this I was worried about what other people thought of me and, mm-hmm. and many things stopped me from doing this over the years and when I got out there I thought you know what this is not as hard as I thought it was going to be uh-huh. it was hard I mean I was hungry and tired a lot of the time and I ran out of food 230 <laughs> miles from Antigua oh my god around that but I thought I'm doing it I'm somehow doing this yeah. I put this thing off for so many years, and when I did have the courage to do it, I thought, why have I put it off for so yeah. long? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny, isn't it, how the brain sort of puts barriers in the way mm-hmm. and plays tricks on you. And, you know, I often say to people, if, if you really want something, you'll do it. And uh, rowing across the Atlantic was 99.99% in the mind. 
Yes. It yeah. actually physically wasn't as difficult as you might think. And even if you've never rowed a day in your life, you could get in a boat and row across the Atlantic. You just take it slowly to begin with and build up. And, uh, you know, by the end of it, after 3,000 miles, you, you'll be a pretty good rower. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I only ever set out to do that. I never set out to do anything else. That was my goal. And I had a real job at the time. I was working. And they gave me time off. But then, you know, as you know, I do a lot of work with kids. And, and one mm-hmm. of the things that I tell them is when you do something you have not done before, mm-hmm. you know, push yourself outside of your comfort zone because there's got to be an action to get a reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, good things will come your way doors of opportunity will naturally open if you push yourself Um, no one's ever going to knock on your door and say surprise I'm a great opportunity if you're not doing anything to to put yourself out there and during my preparation for the row I met another guy who was also rowing across the Atlantic Um, he, he was doing it with someone so he didn't need to do it with anyone else but he was a very accomplished, uh, high-altitude climber. The guy had climbed Everest like five times. And so I set out to row across the Atlantic, and, and, I, and I managed to do it. But off the back of it, I ended up getting an opportunity to go out and climb Mount yeah. Everest the year after. So that's how it linked up. Oh, okay. That's yeah. how it all linked yeah. up. And I didn't know, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it or mm-hmm. not. But I climbed before but nothing to that kind of scale yeah and i thought you know what i don't know if i can do this but i will sure as hell regret it for the Mm. rest of my life if i don't have a go yeah yeah i thought i can row three thousand miles across the atlantic on my own Mm. what not at least have a go and i sort of broke it all down and thought well i mean the challenge again was getting to the start line when i got back i managed to sell the boat to some other lunatic and cleared (laughs) up cleared down the loan yeah Um, so Kind of that, that was that was useful yeah uh, and then I, it all started over again i had to raise <laughs> quite a lot of yeah. fun to, to, to get out to everest and i just did what i did before and and started sending thousands of emails out and the more proactive the more i was doing mm. the luckier i was getting yeah yeah no yeah i remember out. remember when you came and and spoke when we, we were at deal and uh, that that stuck in my mind and i and i have just continuously ever since just been chipping away chipping away and it's so important it's 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 not the you got you can't sit and wait for it to come to you you know yeah yeah you've got to just keep doing it you know (laughs) and the more i the more i shout about it the more people realize it's actually happening the the easier it gets you know so it's like yeah yeah absolutely i mean i totally totally agree yeah the more you, the more you do, the luckier you get. And quite often or not, one of the things that I've learned over the years, I've been very fortunate. I've met a lot of very accomplished people who would be classed as being very successful mm-hmm. because they've either accomplished some some great feats or they they earned a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But 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 you know, one of the things that I've learned, they're not always the smartest people. <laughs> they're not as super smart and as amazing as you might think. Mm. They just have this ability. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. And they don't stop. Yeah. Their work ethic is, is high. They work. They usually do twice as much work as the next person. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, you know, when they get a no or a rejection, they don't cry in the corner and say, this it's not working out for yeah. me. They just yeah. simply keep going. And that I've learned over time is really the only difference. Mm. Um, something that I've observed anyway. 
I'm sure there are people out there that are naturally gifted and intelligent at certain things, but mm. one of the things I have learned is passion, energy, enthusiasm, work ethic, and just effort mm. will nine times out of ten take you further than someone who is very talented but just has got no get up and drive, mm. can't really be mm. do anything. And it's, That's it's good just, inspiration you know, for underestimate yeah. the, the power of just having some energy and some get up and go Definitely. even if you haven't got a clue what you're doing <laughs> you will inspire someone to help you yeah absolutely yeah. Um, so how yeah, did up, how did you up, end up doing the cycle then so uh, <laughs> I I spent some time out on Everest and I, I, again I could talk to you for hours about that but right. I managed to stand on top of the world it was the hardest thing I've ever managed to achieve actually yeah then it literally nearly killed me. I didn't realise that I had uh, a lung infection. I had pneumonia. Oh, God. So I had some complications when I was descending. Like, thanks to my Sherpas, I was able to get to get back down. But I was very poorly. So mm. when I flew back to the UK, I actually didn't go home. I was taken straight to hospital. Lying. And I spent some time. I spent a couple of weeks in hospital with pneumonia. Mm -hmm. and I was lying in that hospital bed, and I, I eventually got got better. And mm. I, you know, once I, I got out of hospital, things had sort of changed a little bit for me. I, I, over time, I had accidentally fallen into a different type of life. I was, in fact, it was when I got back from Everest that the scouts asked me to become an ambassador. Oh, of course, yeah. With yeah. Uh, which I was kind of already doing anyway, to mm. be honest. Mm. So I said, yeah, sure. And I started giving more talks at companies. Companies started paying me to speak. Mm. And I didn't really know where my life was going to go, but I found something that I was passionate about. I mm -hmm. found something that um, made me feel content to, to mm. a degree and felt right. And trust me, I had many people saying to me, when are you going to get a real job? And, you know, you've <laughs> yeah, those ones. <laughs> many, many times I had that. They were actually well-meaning people. Yeah. Um, you know, mm. they weren't necessarily trying to deny me of anything. It's just human beings have a habit of, of telling other people what they think they should or shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. but that's, that's okay. <laughs> um, so I decided that I needed to continue with this type of thing, and I thought to myself, I was actually inspired by another guy who cycled around the world, and mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to cycle around the world, and when I do it, yeah. I'm not going to do it the fastest or anything like that. There's no record-breaking cycle. I thought I'm going to speak in a school in every country I pass through ah, because that's something that made it, yeah. And it became apparent to me that young people listen to me for so. I don't know why. Maybe I'm mm. a bit on myself at heart, and I don't know. But I seem to have this knack for connecting with young people. Mm. And I, I, a, I enjoy doing that. B, it might provide some value. It might inspire someone to pursue their own goals and dreams. And mm -hmm. C, it just feels right. Yeah. So I set about, and it didn't actually cost a huge amount to cycle around the world, if I'm honest. Mm. And I did secure some funding to make it happen. Mm. Uh, and I cycled around the world, and again, I could talk to you for hours about can you, it. Can you give me the rough route that you took? Yeah. Just very broad brush. Yeah, yeah, so I set off from Greenwich Park, cycled down to Dover, hopped onto a ferry, and at that point I was on my own, um, and cycled out through uh, northern France, Belgium, Netherlands, okay. Germany, Czech Republic, Poland, Ukraine, Romania, Bulgaria, right. Turkey. Now, I was due to cycle through Iran and Pakistan, 
but I, I was unable to get through. I think it was Iran that caused some problems. Uh-huh. So I flew to Delhi, and then um, I cycled down. I spent quite a bit of time in India. Yeah. And working my way down to uh, Sri Lanka. Yeah. I called a lap of Sri Lanka, which was incredible. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. amazing people. Yeah. Uh, I then flew from there back to Bangalore to, to speak in some schools and things. And mm-hmm. then from there, I, again, I was going to try and cycle through uh, Myanmar uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to get down into Thailand, yeah. uh, Bangladesh and Myanmar, but it, there was some complications. So I ended up flying to Bangkok. Yeah. Because you, you, you obviously you can fly and you can use public transport. You just have to cycle a certain amount of miles yeah. Yeah. and cross the equator twice. Okay. As, as long as you do that, you can pretty much go wherever you want. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just following this on a map as, you, as you're yeah, talking. Yeah. Bangkok, I yeah. came down to Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. Then uh-huh. from Singapore, I flew to Perth. Then from Perth, I worked my way across uh, the Nullarbor Plain, which is, is, is yeah. the Alps. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, I went down to Adelaide, uh-huh. then to Melbourne, then up to Sydney, then to Brisbane. Then from okay. Brisbane, I flew to uh, San Francisco, okay. then came down to LA, San Diego, then across to Miami. Wow. Then Miami, I flew to Lisbon. And then from Lisbon, I actually only had 800 miles back to the yeah. finish line. Wow. Um, and actually, I remember the day the day I finished in Greenwich Park, I woke up that morning and my friends were supposed to be joining me. Uh-huh. And um, it was pouring with rain. <laughs> you um, go all the way around the world, didn't you? Yeah, it was pouring with <laughs> rain. And the forecast suggested it was going to be really bad the whole day. <laughs> and so my mates were like, listen, can, can we meet you for a beer later on? It's just too wet. And I'm like, well, you know, I have cycled around the whole world, but, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. And I remember I set off that morning thinking, oh, bloody brilliant, you know, going yeah. around the whole world, it's pouring with rain, it's going to be like this all day. Yeah. But I, if there was anything I learned over yeah. the years, and, and, and that is never give up because you never know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. I, and I'll never forget this. That day yeah. when I thought it was going to be a rubbish day and the forecast suggested it was going to be heavy rain all yeah, day. Yeah. Something crazy happened. As I got on my bike and got yeah. closer to London, yeah. it was like someone was looking down on me. I yeah. mean, the clouds yeah. passed and I ended up arriving in beautiful blue sky and sunshine and it was like, I don't know how that happened, but it did. And you don't know what's around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> change for the better. <laughs> yeah, good. Cool. So... <laughs> yeah, so then I got back, but there was not really much going on in the media when I got back to, to Greenwich Park, and the media came out and said, did you know, there's, we did some research, there's <laughs> there's no one on this planet that's rowed a boat across an ocean, been to yeah. the top of the world and, and cycled around the world, and it's like, it's like an ultimate triathlon, isn't it? <laughs> and I felt guilty, because I never came up with that slogan, the ultimate triathlon. So, oh uh, yeah. It's a great title. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm a terrible yeah. runner. I've got goals in my hand. I really can't run particularly yeah. well. Yeah. 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 Uh, an amazing guy called Ash, who's a scout leader himself. Yes, yeah, so I know Ash. I've met him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we attempted yeah. to row across the Indian Ocean, and we were just a bit unlucky. What happened? Really, we had a, you know, the boat. We got into some difficulty with the boat and uh-huh. things. 
we ended up having to be rescued and but I tell you what it was around those times that I ended up learning and really growing the most and mm. what I mean that is when everything that someone is working on is going the way you want it to go and you're getting the results you expect and feel you deserve and and you know when, when you're at a point in your life when everything you're doing is going well you, you you've got good relationships you're paying all your bills and mm-hmm. you're making progress towards a worthy goal life is easy mm, it's easy mm, mm. but as soon as something really goes wrong you, you don't get what you're looking for you, you know something just doesn't go your way and, you, and you're faced with some real extreme disappointment mm. it's really only those times that you actually find out what you're really kind of made of yeah. I remember when I got back to the UK I was I was really down and fed up. There was this, it was this like massive dark. Oh, cloud. there's there's always that post expedition sort of downer. You 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 almost know it's coming. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, with, with, with what happened, we were rescued. I kind of, your mind plays tricks on you. I felt like I'd let myself down. I felt mm-hmm. like I ashed down. And yeah. but something happened that I didn't expect. And that is, we, my phone was ringing off the hook because our rescue was like global news. Mm. So I got home, people ringing me up saying, you're the guy that was rescued. I said, yeah, that's me. Mm. And they wanted to book me for a, to come and speak at their event. They actually weren't interested. Yeah, yeah. I climbed Everest and done some other stuff. They said, yeah. we want to know what that was like. Yeah. Being out in the Indian Ocean and being rescued and climbing up the side of a bloody great oil tanker. <laughs> and... I didn't realise because you'll never see it at the time. You'll mm. only ever see it looking back. Mm. But there'll always be something good that comes off the back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't go your way. So yeah. this kind of dark cloud of disappointment ended up having this fantastic silver lining around it, which I never saw at the time. You can only right. see it looking back. Right. And, yeah. Life can life can only be lived backwards or whatever it is. But yeah. yeah. I ended up going out to the Amazon jungle after that, and then I ended up working on another project, and I took a guy across the Atlantic in a pedalo. But again, he became unwell, and I had to orchestrate a. God. A recovery, a rescue in the middle of the Atlantic, uh-huh. and then I decided that I was going to work on a project on my own to row a boat around Great Britain on, on my own. And that's quite difficult. It's quite technical mm-hmm. because the most dangerous place you can be in a boat that doesn't have an engine is right next to the coast. Yeah, and yeah. So you're, you're limited to what you can do if the wind picks up and the tides become quite strong. So it was very technical how I was going to mm. get around. Mm. And, um, you know, I didn't think lightning can strike twice, let alone three times. Crikey. I was a week into my row and, and I became unwell myself and I actually had to be taken off the boat. And that was when things really started to get quite dark and disappointing. Mm. And mm-hmm. you, here I was, this guy who'd achieved some seemingly impressive feats. I climbed my world's highest mountain, cycled the world, rode an ocean. But now everything I was touching was going wrong. And, uh, and you know people well-meaning people again were sort mm-hmm. of saying you know look you've had a good run you need to give this up now yeah. and, uh, <laughs> go back to normal you've you know, you three big failures yeah call them failures or yeah. whatever you want to call them but yeah. you've had three big things that you know just haven't worked out for you you know you're at risk of damaging your credibility but I kind of thought you know what I owe it to myself to continue doing the things that I believe in and mm-hmm. then over time I learned that 
what's really important is is living to your living and standing up for your own values and what you feel is right and mm-hmm. things that you believe in and things that you're passionate about and I enjoyed what I was doing and I decided that I wasn't going to give up on this sort of lifestyle that I'd crafted mm. together for me and I decided I was going to try and do something else and, and I thought you know what I've always had an interest in, in aviation but that's when that but, started oh. yeah I always thought that flying was for, for people that had lots of money or were highly intelligent and I mm. fell short by a long way on both of those <laughs> but I decided to take it one step at a time and I wanted to do something different mm-hmm. so I, and I couldn't afford to fly helicopters um, so I thought I'd learn how to fly gyroplanes mm. and was very lucky I picked it up very quickly I think where I used to race motorbikes my, my okay. coordination and balance was quite good mm-hmm. so it didn't take me long to pick up the, the flying I found it quite easy and very enjoyable I was kind of like quite motivated for it mm. and then I thought you know what well no, at the time no one had flown one around the world there'd been a few attempts but I thought you know what I, I got no idea if I can do this mm. but here I was where I had this potential opportunity to have a go at something and it just felt right and yeah. again I didn't yeah. know whether I could do it but I thought you know what I've come this far I've learned how to fly I'm, I am going to have a go at trying to fly around the world and and uh, Long story short, I, I managed to do yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It was, it was an incredible feat. So yeah, so I mean, and again, like, you were you were talking to young people on the way as well, weren't you? So, yeah, yeah, that's it. Every, yeah. Every possible opportunity, I was speaking in schools and things, mm-hmm. and and it was that the mission was actually to inspire a million young people to pursue yeah. their own goals and dreams, and Which we got great. that million yeah. number yeah. through because I could I can't physically speak to a million people in person mm-hmm. that'd be a lot of talks um, <laughs> so what we did was we thought well okay you know through if you look at the numbers of, of people that are watching the YouTube videos mm-hmm. and the media reach that we get we can assume that we can easily hit that number of mm-hmm. reaching a million or possibly mm. exceed that yeah. and I did all that I could uh, mm. I left nothing on the table with that project mm. and I pushed myself as hard as I could when I flew around the world the flying to be really honest ended up being relatively easy I was it was all the work that I had to do in the yeah. evenings continuing yeah. to all the sponsorship commitments edit videos but something clicked when I was going around the world and it was probably the hardest I'd ever pushed myself mm. and, and what I mean by that I was like early starts very very late finishes and just non-stop on the go flat out all the time but actually if you keep doing it and you've got the discipline Mm. to stick with it it's amazing what can become the new normal yes the first few weeks or the first few months you're thinking well I can't sustain this this is crazy yeah but your body adjusts and your your mindset adjusts and yeah bloody amazed at what you can actually do and it's it just became the new normal in the end. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I've learned over 10 years of doing these types of things is it's everything we do, mm-hmm. whether you're going away on an expedition or you're just working a, a normal job or you're trying to raise funding to go to Antarctica, mm. it's all in the mind. If you believe you can do it yeah, and, yeah. and just you're passionate about it and you're disciplined, to do it when you don't feel like doing it 
by default you will always get there Great. you'll, you'll, you'll yeah. get there in the end so we will yeah, <laughs> just keep going that's a little bit yeah. about my story cool. but I think what you're so, doing is, is incredible thank you right. it, yeah, let's, let, let's do a couple of the official questions so uh, what's your earliest memory James do you have an earliest memory yeah I do I flew to America on holiday with my parents when I was 10 years old and my goodness, I couldn't sleep for days before we went to Heath. Like, we flew on a jumbo jet, and it oh, <laughs> weeks, actually, before I couldn't sleep. I was so excited. And that was my first real adventure as a 10-year-old, going to Great. California with my Great. parents. Yeah. Wow, what wonderful memories. A I very have. apt earliest memory as well. I like that, yeah. yeah. And Right, okay. If you could go back... Well, this is our special question for this podcast. So. Okay. If you could go back in time and actually meet Sir Ernest Shackleton, uh, is there something that you would want to ask him? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. I'd probably ask him what he would do differently and I would, uh, I'd ask him too if it's okay. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. What would you do differently? And most importantly, over the course of your, your expeditions and your career, what have you learned? That's mm -hmm. a bit vague. You may mm -hmm. say, well, in reference to what? But someone like that, you don't accomplish, you don't do the things that he's managed to do without learning a few things along the way. Mm-hmm. And I want to tap in and find out how he had that resilience to do what he did and lead those men and stay positive. Yeah. Because if I take, if I can suck just a little bit of that out of him, mm -hmm. that would be useful for me. Okay. Uh, Lessons yeah. learned. Lessons learned, I think. Right. Okay. This is um, unbelievable truth, this one. So uh, is there something you can tell us that might entirely surprise us about you? Something we might not expect? something that I can tell you that you wouldn't expect um, I, I I don't know you may this may not be something that you don't expect I don't know mm -hmm. but um, I'm quite geeky I love playing with models okay. and I fly model aeroplanes alright um, and, and anything that has an engine and, and anything that I can build so, so I love models so the, these these ones where you actually sort of take it to the park and you yeah, can you take fly. it to an airfield yeah, yeah. oh real, real proper models yeah yeah, yeah okay. proper radio controls yeah. uh, and um, so I, I, I play with I play with uh, toy aeroplanes that nice are very one. expensive <laughs> so I, I, maybe people didn't know that. No, know. that's uh, cool. That's cool. Um, and is there a favourite... When you go on your expect, uh, expeditions, is there um, a favourite food that you'd like to take with you or, or always, you know, maybe take along that you can't always get where you are? Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you two things. Yeah. One of them you might laugh at. The first <laughs> thing uh, that I really enjoyed when I was rowing, uh, when I was out in the Atlantic, and any time I go out in an ocean, I will take these with me, and that is tinned peaches. Oh, okay. Tinned peaches are really useful. <laughs> We've not had anyone select those before. Yeah, okay. Tinned peaches are brilliant. Because okay. when you first go out into, on the water, you, you, you can become a bit seasick. I'm lucky, I don't really suffer from seasickness. Uh -huh. I have once, it's quite debilitating. And you lose your appetite, but the one thing, but you have to keep eating and drinking, that's the right, thing. Right, right. You don't, you'll deteriorate. And yeah. the one thing that I really liked, that worked well for me, mm -hmm. 
on the road in the early days as I was getting used to being out there in the water moving in the environment yeah just tin peaches oh, okay they and they always, always taste quite fresh even though they're they in a tin yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. leave them for a long time and yeah. then open them up and yeah. they'll be great cool so right so that's number one but you can't really carry them on a bike or anything it's uh-huh. heavy but uh-huh. you can throw them in a boat yeah so secondly I had this sounds so bizarre <laughs> uh, when I rode across the Atlantic and when I cycled around the world not so much on Everest yeah I had a craving for a Marks and Spencer's <laughs> BLT sandwich. Doesn't that sound so stupid? No, it doesn't so sound stupid. Uh, that, that vision of biting into a nice fresh one was yeah, lovely. Yeah, okay, yeah, because people talk about, you know, missing steak and chips and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah and okay. I, was, I do have another funny story for you. When uh-huh. you row a boat across the Atlantic and you come into Nelson's Dockyard in English Harbour, uh-huh. anyone who's, who's, who's crossed the Atlantic gets a free meal. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, so I said, oh, great, I'll have a cheeseburger. Yeah. I fancied a cheeseburger when I arrived, and they brought this cheeseburger out, yeah. and it was stone cold. Oh, no. But, I, but it still tasted pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah. because you've got to have something to, ahead of you. So. Always uh, have them in. And do you have a keepsake, something special that you always have with you when you travel? Yeah, 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 yeah. let me show you. Yeah. Um, get out of my pocket. What's, what's this one? seconds oh well you can see this but that's uh saint christopher yeah cool you can't get more so appropriate this, than the saint christopher yeah well that's kind of what i thought and i was given this by someone yeah before i rode across the atlantic and i've taken this across the atlantic up everest around the world great it's, it's never and once I thought I'd lost it, but I managed to find yeah, it. Yeah, I've got I've, I've got my granddad's war medal, which is you know I walk the Pennine Way with it. I, it's it's been all around the world with me. I, you know, I've, it, it's always with me if I go on expeditions and yeah. So uh, yeah. it's nice yeah. to have something, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, now you you've not been to Antarctica, have you? Uh, Never no. Been. Okay, sure but what what are your feelings about Antarctica? Why do you think it's such a special place for people? Well, it's the average person doesn't get to go there. Uh, it's not something that you can just you know go. It, 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 it's a very isolated, remote place. Mm-hmm. There's, I like the history. The, the expedition history attached to it. Yeah. Um, and the world, there's no shadow of a doubt, the world is changing. The world mm-hmm. is warming up. Mm-hmm. In a hundred years' time, Antarctica may not be the Antarctica that we know now. Yeah. So it's, it, would, it would be great to go there at some point and certainly, um, you know, learn something from, from the place. I'd imagine... I'd imagine there's a lot of things that haven't been discovered within within Antarctica. Mm-hmm. There's probably a treasure trove of things that we don't even know about that have yet to be discovered, quite possibly. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that I find really interesting is the, uh, the, 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 the mapping and sort of surveying element of, of an, Antarctica. And I know years ago that's, a lot of the people went out there to do that with very limited equipment and it's it's a really harsh place in the winter isn't it just imagine experiencing temperatures down to i mean it's the coldest place on earth i believe 
So, yeah, there's many things about Antarctica that are quite interesting. And you, so you, you got very lucky that you're going to be able to go there. Hope so. <laughs> yeah, and uh, do you want to finish with just some advice to our young people? Just any any inspirational words for them? My advice would be maximise every single day and enjoy it. Mm. And I can tell you because I have quite a lot of experience of going on different expeditions. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. It's not an end thing. Just enjoy the whole experience and maximize it try to get as much out of it as you can try to give as much as you can and know and value how lucky everyone is to get this opportunity because there are very few people on the planet that are going to be able to do what uh, Mm. a lot of the young scouts are going to be doing very soon so Mm. just enjoy it and maximize it and work as hard as you can at getting as much out of it as, as you can. Cool. That's really, and just, just enjoy it. That's, That's great, liking. James. Thank you. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. To find out more about the Request 2021 project and how you can support and follow our progress, just visit our website on www dot request 2021.org.uk that's www.request 2021.org.uk and uh, please give this podcast a review share it and uh, and spread the word to anyone you know who's interested in antarctica thank you Thank you.